Hello and welcome to another bonus podcast. Uh, it is spring break, so it's just Thaley and I mm-hmm. here again. We can't rope people in every week, <laughs> so just the two of us are going to talk through our latest sermon series or our latest sermon from the sermon series, the Modern Family series. Uh, it was Greg Harris talking about divorce this last weekend yeah. at the Abbotsford campus. Yes. The Mission campus um, had a, top, a sermon on singleness, and I think they'll get the divorce one in a few weeks. Okay. So normally we go hand in hand with that campus, but there was a few different things that happened the last little while where we've kind of gone off schedule, but we will regain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we will regain that partnership. But yeah, Greg was talking on the topic of divorce. Uh, He spoke on the passage in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 16. Yep. And so what we're going to do is quickly recap that sermon and then talk through it a little bit. This is Thalia's bread and butter. (laughs) I know, totally. And if you haven't listened to the sermon or you weren't here this weekend because of spring break, I would really encourage you to listen to that sermon first. We're going to add on to it, but Greg did such an amazing job. My husband Mark and I sat by another couple we know, and all of us were completely speechless at the end. He was so clear and he had so many good points that we were trying to digest them and it was just so good. Yeah, I think so simple mm-hmm. yet profound, right? Yeah. Like it was, he explained it in very clear language that it was very clear to follow and clear to understand, but yet big ideas yeah. that he was talking through. And I talked to a few people after the sermon who have solid marriages and they felt like a rallying cry to encourage others around them at whatever stage they're at. And I also talked to some people who have shaky marriages and they were encouraged to keep working. So it didn't feel like a heavy, difficult sermon. It felt like a good, encouraging, affirming, and yet a bit of a kick butt kind of a sermon. Yeah. And there were some freedom pieces in it too, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about as we go on, but some things that were new ideas for people. Yeah. And even for like my husband talking to him after, he said, I've never actually heard a sermon talked about in the church about divorce, about that there could be a biblical reason for it. It's always been as just a negative thing and that we need to kind of avoid it at all costs. Mm -hmm. That idea that God hates divorce is quoted over and over and over again. And the thought that there actually might be ways to manage it well. Yeah. Um, has never really been presented that he had heard at a pulpit. So I know we've talked about it at women's ministry and other places, but it's not something that he had come into into contact with before. So it was very worthwhile. Very, very worthwhile. This whole series is really hitting a lot of buttons for people. And you can see people just chewing them over and talking about them with people after and asking us questions. And yeah, and Greg, really was, good. Greg was telling me that he planned this sermon to be a resource so that we in the care department could refer people back to this particular topic. And I was so thankful. It was funny through the sermon. If you watched it, it yeah. was, <laughs> several times throughout the whole sermon, there was care at northview.org, the little email address at the bottom would scroll through. And I uh, kept getting all these little pokes around me as people would say, yep, you're going to get some emails. And yeah, it was, we were, like, <laughs> it was like watching the telephone when the one eight hundred number the donation comes across. That's what it felt like. I know. And I was sitting close to some elders and I kept poking them saying, you be ready because we often work in teams here. And so they, it wasn't just me. Like you, you have to be ready too. So yeah, Greg mentioned that a few times that it's pastors and elders mm-hmm. that walk through this topic with people. And so Thalia has a few that are regular shoulder tappers yeah. for her who help her kind of negotiate, yeah. her and Vic and Paul negotiate through this. Yeah. So just to quickly recap the sermon, like I said, it was on 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 16. And um, Greg kind of did, if you read through that passage, and we will read through it in the next little bit, he did it in a little bit of reverse order, just because he thought it would uh, work better that way in terms of how he wanted to land the sermon at the end. But um, there basically gives principles for divorce if it is a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then principles around divorce, if it's a marriage between two believers. Yes. And that's the way he broke up the sermon, just into those two points. And then at the end of that, he had four kind of calls that might, or implications that would come out of this discussion. And they were a call to renew commitment, a call to um, remain single, if that's the situation, we can talk through that, a call for reconciliation, and a call for repentance. Yeah. And that was repentance... Um, individually, if you're in, have been in a marriage um, that was divorce or in a rocky situation, those kind of marriages, or a call to repentance also in the church, if we have put people who are divorced into some extra category of super sinners yeah. or not allowed them to serve or yeah. just done things that have made them feel that they're not welcome, yes. that they're that kind of the worst type of single person, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that has been the way some people have felt. Yeah. So that was the just the basic bare bones of the sermon. But like Thalia said, listen to it online. It's great. Uh, one main thing that he said several times, and we'll just thought we'd start with that, is that all divorces are a result of sin, but not all divorces are sinful. Yeah. So what do we mean that all divorces are a result of sin? Well, sin always leads to divorce in terms of it could be the sin of neglecting your spouse or the sin of active addiction or the sin of abuse or the sin of uh, adultery. There's all kinds of sins that lead to divorce. Or just selfishness. So, absolutely. Or yeah. just, Laziness. I don't love you anymore. I, I'm bored. I want something else sparkly, shiny. Like that, That's all sin. Yeah. So um, divorces are caused by sin. Every divorce is caused by sin, but not all divorces are sinful. God actually has two very clear allowances for divorce that we sometimes forget to emphasize. Yeah. And he didn't talk about one very much this week. That's Matthew 19, where it talks about there is an allowance for divorce in terms of physical adultery. There, That's an allowance, not a requirement, though. So if your spouse cheats on you or yeah. has a relationship with another woman or man or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Then it's an allowance for divorce, but not a requirement. Actually, ideally, it's better if a husband and wife can forgive each other, can stop the sin, can reconcile and keep moving forward. It's better for them individually and for their marriage and for their kids and for their community. Yeah. And we've seen marriages mm-hmm. be restored after affairs yes. and after. Absolutely. But it is a hard work and they yeah. have to be both willing to do it. Yes. And so yeah. if one person isn't willing to do the hard work and continues to maybe live with the person that they were having a, an affair with, then yeah, there is an allowance for divorce. God makes that clear. And then yeah. the person can move on to a remarriage. Right. So that's going to be Jeff's sermon in a few weeks on Matthew yeah. 19. So the other one, which is what came up in this passage, is um, if you are deserted by an unbelieving spouse. That was a second allowable reason for divorce. And Paul basically says in this passage, like we'll read in the next little bit, then you're free to go. If your unbelieving spouse chooses to leave you, then you don't have to consider yourself bound to that person. And I think, like I said earlier in the beginning, that was a really freeing idea for a lot of people. I know there's been women that have come to my Bible, our Bible studies, who feel like even though their husband left them 20 years ago and is living with this other person, they're still not free. They're somehow obligated to remain single, to not actually re-engage with anybody else. And the message just kind of gave that clear idea. No, if you've been deserted by someone who has shown themselves to be an unbeliever by their actions, you're free to re-engage in that if you choose to. Mm -hmm. So I think for some people it was like a, oh, wow, (laughs) like just gave them a different perspective on what their future could perhaps be like. And like your husband Bob said, that we don't talk about the fact that there actually is allowance for divorce by God. There's a design here. Yeah. Yeah, so it's important for us to see that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how well this passage is known in the church, but it's very clear walking through 1 Corinthians 7, it deals with so many of these things. And it's interesting because it basically is 
the church in Corinth was a church of people that just came to faith and they're asking Paul, well, how do we deal with yeah. life now that we're Christians? And he's giving them all these instructions. Yeah. I just thought of something else before we move into the passage, yeah. if it's okay. We talked about two clear allowances, physical adultery and an abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And you might be thinking as you're listening to this, but what about all these other things that could lead to divorce? We know of many people that divorce for other reasons. So we would say that there are lots of sins that lead to divorce. And for every other sin, that's something that should we should pursue church discipline. Yeah. So that means Matthew 18, where you talk to your spouse and you say, you are sinning against me in this way. And then you involve two or three trusted others to say, you are sinning against me in this way. And these other trusted people are are known. They know it now. That's We need to be accountable here. And if still nothing happens, then you take it to the church, which in Northview's case means you come to the care department. It doesn't mean you stand up in the Sunday (laughs) morning. I was thinking, do people picture like you standing in front of the whole church and telling everybody this? Because that is how it has been done in the past at some places. Yeah. You know, here at Northview, it just means you come and meet with me if you're a woman or if you're a man, you meet with Vic or Paul or as a couple, you can meet with any of us. And it means you lay your case out before us and we walk through many meetings, sometimes months of meetings to determine what's going on here and to pursue repentance and to pursue reconciliation to see if this marriage can be saved. But sometimes people keep sinning unrepentantly, and then we have to determine, you know, the other things. Yeah. So the clear-cut ones, like we said, are yeah. the immorality and the uh, desertion. Yeah, sexual immorality. Sexual yep. mm-hmm. immorality and desertion. Other ones we would l- encourage you to talk about within the community of faith yeah. and have people come alongside you. So that might come up again as we walk through just the different pieces. Yeah, and if those are unclear, come and talk to me because I know people say will say to me, well, what about pornography or what about emotional affair or things like that and we can talk through that yep yep care at northview.org scrolling up on the bottom of this podcast (laughs) i know this podcast is only about half an hour or so and this topic is huge and the sermon was only about that long as well we could do hours on this so i know that you're probably listening and going but my friend and my sister and my you know or maybe your own situation and come and talk to me yeah and there's also like we've said each week there's a great a lot of resources on Mm -hmm. our website uh, the book that um, Greg mentioned this week was by J.E. Adams yeah. uh, called Biblical Divorce and Remarriage, something yeah. like that. Um, and it's a short little book. It's maybe 120 pages. Oh, yeah. A paperback, easy yeah. read, but very walking through this passage and others and giving a lot of good instruction. So yeah. if you want to add to what we say, do that. Totally. So I think, Thaley, you're going to read through little bits of it and then just talk about this passage in terms of how you would in a counseling setting with people. Yeah. So I do this quite a bit. People will come and meet with me and say, this is the situation. What does the Bible say about my situation? And so often we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So Crystal gets to be my person today. Yep. I'll uh, ask the questions. <laughs> that's right. But normally this is what we do. So we turn to 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to start in verse 10. It says, To the married I give this charge. This is Paul. Not I, but the Lord. Uh, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, in this passage, I would tell people that the word separation and divorce is the same in the Greek. It's kriso. So back in the Corinthian church days, there was not such a thing as separation as we know it today. It was only divorce. You're married or you're divorced. Here we have separation in our culture. So we have a little bit of a different context, and Greg mentioned this in the sermon. So the intention here is that uh, believers should not divorce. The intention is for them to stay married. But if you look at verse 11, it says, but if she does. So sometimes people did separate or divorce in this case. 
So what is the charge to them? Well, they should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to their husband. Because even in our context, if you come to meet with me at the church, I would say there are circumstances where you should separate. Like physical abuse is one. You need to be safe. Emotional and verbal abuse, you need to be safe. Or sometimes with an active addiction or reckless financial management, sometimes you need to separate. Like sometimes, depending on the circumstances, it is important to be in two separate homes under different roofs. But it's not a time to play. It's not a time to go and seek someone else and have fun sexually or just go traveling. This is a time to work at your marriage. This is time to come talk to the church or go to a counselor or both and meet with wise Christian friends. Christian friends, like This is a time when you work on your marriage. You don't simply just sit back and kick up your feet and woohoo. No, no, no. If you're going to separate, you need to do the work to reconcile. Yeah, because I think sometimes what feels like when you are in separate homes, all of a sudden, phew, the pressure's off. Yeah. And then the, then people think, okay, I don't want to actually get back to that hard work of doing this again. Right. I just want to, I'm so glad I don't have to face this person every day. Yeah. I want to just forget about it and I want to move on. And you're saying that's actually not what you would call people to do. No, because sometimes people separate for like a night. Yeah. You just need to cool off. You need to catch your breath. But then you go back to your home, into your same bedroom, because your intention is to work it out. That's not what I mean by separation. That's just a temporary little separation. Yeah. But when people actually separate into two different homes, we call them to do the work of reconciling their marriage and to see if the sinning spouse will sort of come to their senses, will stop sinning, will repent, will move forward with counseling and help and programs and resources of all different kinds. Yeah. Yeah. And we have seen that in yes. different situations where that has worked, where the the person who's separated, it's kind of just been a bit of a wake-up call for that yeah. spouse saying, actually, this person is serious about it mm-hmm. and they need me to make some changes if our marriage is going to work. And that person that has actually stepped into that call then and been willing to repent yeah. and to walk forward and to rebuild their relationship. So... That would actually surprise people that there are a lot of people at Northview that have separated into separate living spaces, separate homes, and have woken up and have done the hard work and then sometimes months later gotten back together and they have a stronger marriage. Yeah, It's not all sunshine and roses, but they are working and they're happier and they're like, it's really changed. Yeah. And we've done the hard work and we're keeping doing the hard work, but that was a wake-up call. Yeah. So... If that is something that you come to do, talk to Thalia and Vic mm-hmm. about, expect that that will be part of the, they're not going to say just separate and phew, that's good and just, yeah. you know, slowly wait to divorce. It's going to be a separation with a thought that we're going to keep working at this and yeah. seeing if we can actually make this happen. Yeah. So clearly, if we did not say it already, and Greg did, abuse is a reason to be safe. Yeah. It is a reason to separate out for you or your kids to be safe. We do not tolerate abuse. At Northview, And Greg said it too, just because we are known as a conservative Christian church, Bible-believing church, but that doesn't mean people stay in their marriages under the same roof permanently for all reasons. No, if there's abuse, you need to separate and be safe. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> you've said that four times in the last <laughs> no. sentence, but I think we can't say it enough because I've been in so many groups where a woman will say, my husband, my wife, my friend is getting beaten up, and but she knows she needs to stay in her marriage because that's a Christian thing to do. And I'm like, oh. Wanting to scream. I know, and Christian women will often say, but I'm supposed to submit to my husband. I'm like, okay, but we don't submit to sin. And so I use the example, I'm like, if you went to a grocery store and you're paying for your groceries and the cashier starts insulting you and swearing at you and saying terribly mean things to you, are you just going to stay and smile at them? (laughs) No. Yes, dear, whatever you say, dear. No, you walk out of the store or you go talk to the manager or both. You don't stay there and let the person 
verbally abuse you, emotionally abuse you, or even physically, but you wouldn't stay in that grocery store. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. Nobody would allow you to do that. So why do we do that in our marriages then? Why do we just put our heads down and let our spouses, because it's not just men, sometimes the women are the abusers. Mm -hmm. Why do we let our spouse spew on us with all these terrible things, either physically or verbally or emotionally? No, no, no. We get out and we stay safe and we get help. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> preach it. Preach it. I know. I, okay. I, I can get a little overwhelmed. That's good. Keep yes. on going. Okay. Verses 12 to 13. Right. 12 to 13. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, again, this is Paul speaking, that if any brother, that's a Christian brother, has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he should not divorce him. She should not divorce him. Oh my goodness. Gets a little confusing there. Okay. So here we're talking about the situation between a believer and an unbeliever. And the unbeliever is consenting to live with the believer. That's good. Again, not in the situation of abuse, but in the situation of a regular marriage, you have a believer and an unbeliever. The intention is to stay married. So if they consent, stay married. Yeah. And so, and what Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg brought out as the principle there is that the believer should not seek divorce. Right. If the unbelieving spouse chooses to, that's their prerogative. But the believer, that should not be our stance to seek divorce. No. And I like the fact that he also brought up, Paul mentions there that this is a new teaching. It's not yeah. Jesus's teaching. Right. And I think it's important for us to realize it doesn't mean it's less important teaching. It's just that Paul was teaching to a new audience. Jesus didn't teach to people who had just become Christians because no one was Christians yet when right. Jesus was there, right? Yeah. But Paul was speaking to a new audience where some people were actually beginning to follow Jesus and others weren't. And so he had to just adapt Jesus's teaching to that new audience. So it's not saying that Paul's words are less important. He's the authoritative teacher of God's word in the scriptures. So I thought that was good that that he explained that a little bit or touched on that a bit. He did. And what was good about Greg's sermon is that he said, okay, so the question then is, what is an unbeliever? Yeah. And that's a question we need to be asking because sometimes it's clear. Sometimes somebody in a marriage just says, no, I'm not a Christian. I may not be any other faith. I'm not an atheist or a Buddhist or anything. I'm just, I'm not a Christian. I don't buy into this faith. I'm not coming to church. Well, that's very clear. Yeah. But more often we have people who say, I've been baptized. I graduated from MEI or CBC or Trinity Western. My parents are Christians or I live in Canada. I've been to church all my life. I still go to church every week. And you kind of think, but I don't see any fruit in the rest of your life. Everything else in your re- rest of your life is testifying to the fact that you may not be a Christian. It's a very confusing place to be. And we're often wondering, is my spouse a believer, even though they say that they have all these, they've done all these things, or are they an unbeliever? Yeah. And he used the passage from 1 John 3, where it talks about that people who are truly born of God will not continue practicing sin. Mm-hmm. They will instead practice righteousness. Yeah. And so that's the, the idea that he was getting across there is um, we may sin, we will sin as yes. Christians, but we won't continually want to keep repeating it and living it and loving it and relishing in it. Yes. And, and when we're called to repentance, or we're made aware of our sin, we will hopefully repent. Like that's yeah. what a that's what a mark of a Christian is. Yes. And he's saying if you don't see that in your life, then that person that you're interacting with may not actually be a Christian. And I think just that idea alone was mind blowing for yeah. a lot of people because I think people so many people think the profession is all you need. All you have to do is say that you're a Christian. Yeah. But no, throughout the Bible <laughs> That's the starting point. Yeah. And if you don't see any fruitfulness out of that, if you don't see any changed lives out of that, then you may actually say, well, maybe that profession isn't right. Yeah. Sometimes I get really frustrated with women in our church who are duped by labels. Yeah. Well, they'll say, my boyfriend is a Christian. 
And then all of a sudden they get married. And my boyfriend said he was a Christian, said he would come to church with me, said he would do all these things, but he isn't, he doesn't. And I'm like, but do you know what a believer is? Yeah. And this is all new to them. Yeah. But I again, I bring it back to something like running. Crystal, you're a runner. I'm not. But I could dupe people and I could say, you know what? I'm a runner. Yeah. And they'll say, do you have runners? Yeah. Do you have a running jacket? Yeah. Uh, where do you run? Well, I don't. Okay, well, when was the last time you ran? Well, probably in high school. So you're a runner? Like, there's no evidence in your life that you're a runner. You can't talk about 5K races, 10K races. You can't say any of the things that you could say, Crystal, because I don't have the lingo. And there's no evidence. You follow me around. There's no evidence that I run. Walk? Yes. (laughs) Maybe hike occasionally, not run. So it's like, can I call myself a runner? Would you buy into that label without checking it out? Like, I don't understand this. No, but somehow we have this thought that we can't, we can't uh, question somebody's faith because that's their personal yes. thing. And we can't say, it's not up to us to judge whether or not that person's in the faith or not. Yes. And it may not be up to you to judge individually, but there is a discernment still that we need to walk through, which is what this passage calls us to. Yeah. To walk through with a body of people around you to say, actually, is my spouse a believer or unbeliever? Yeah. And I think as parents, I know that when my kids were in the public school, that it's very important to teach our kids how to discern if somebody truly is a Christian. Because my kids would come home from middle school and they'd say, Mom, lots of people put a cross on their artwork, but I don't think they really are a Christian. And so then we started to have the discussion of what is truly a Christian? What's a believer and what are the marks of that? Yeah. And so again, that's something that you have questions about email. Well, this, in this case, Crystal or myself, both of us, not just Kara at Northview.org, <laughs> and, and say, let's talk about this. Because this is a big deal. Yeah, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to get to a part after this that gets a little confusing, and this will be fun to unpack a little bit. So starting at verse, verse 14, it says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Okay, Crystal, I know that Greg unpacked this on the extra. He said he was going to. That was one of his intentions that he wanted to, because he knew he wouldn't get to it in the sermon. Yeah. Yeah. But basically, the general idea is that if we are Christians within the household, we are bringing the Holy Spirit influence into that house, Mm -hmm. right? And so it doesn't necessarily mean that our husband or our kids will necessarily become Christians. We hope and pray that. Yes. But it's the idea that they will be in the presence of holiness because we're bringing the Holy Spirit with us there. Yeah. Not a guarantee of salvation. No. But the possibility they'll be exposed to issues of faith. They'll be encouraged to come to church or to they'll hear worship songs maybe or they'll see the kids doing their Bible bucks and all their – no, not Bible bucks. Their Bible – Yeah. Yeah. Bible bucks. Yeah. And Bible – Memorization. They yeah, get the yeah. Bible bucks. All the yeah. things from church yeah. they get the Bible bucks for. Yeah. All their Bible memory and all that kind of thing. They'll hear all that, see all that, and maybe it will plant a seed that's something – that there's something for them to pursue. Yeah. Greg said when he was doing research on this, it seemed like the kind of cultural context was that people who were um, believers were worried that if they stayed with an unbeliever, that this unbeliever's pagan gods or whatever would overpower God. And so that they would be kind of, uh, I don't know, like under attack, right? Oh, and yeah. Greg was saying this this passage is meant to encourage them, no, the Holy Spirit within you is greater than any spirit that your husband might be worshiping or your wife might be worshiping. So don't worry about it. Like mm-hmm. They can still be made holy because of... Greater is he who is in you you. than he who is in the world. Yeah. 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 So I think that's a few little thoughts on that. Yep. And then verse 15, it says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. And that let it be so is actually a command. Like if the unbelieving, if your unbelieving spouse leaves, let them go. Yeah. You are not bound. And that continues there too. In such cases, the brother or sister, like the Christian, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. 
For how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know a husband whether you'll save your wife? Yeah, so that's again the idea that you're not guaranteeing that they're made holy by your life, but you're allowing them to come into contact with that. Yeah. And then letting them go if they don't want to be part of of who you are and what, what, yeah, your faith and what you bring into the marriage. And I know those things are very difficult. We have marriages here where a spouse has left and then has chosen to live with someone else. And that is an extremely painful, painful, awful thing. And I know that the spouse, either the husband or the wife, just feels sick at heart and they really want to reconcile and they want to pursue reconciliation. But sometimes it's not possible because the other person just doesn't want to. They just turned away. Yeah, yeah, they just need to let it be so. Yeah. And so um, basically, as Greg talked about in the sermon, as we've talked about a little bit here, the crux of kind of this argument is the debating or the deciding on who is an unbeliever mm-hmm. in terms of what that means for you going forward, whether you're free to remarry or, or not. And so do you want to sp- say anything more about that in terms of the Matthew 18 process that he talked about? Sure. Well, adding to what we've already said. Well, let's clarify just a second about the unbeliever. Uh, Greg talked in his sermon about how it's not something that we determine at one meeting. Mm-hmm. This is something that may take weeks, months, maybe even years. It's a church effort. So myself, Thalia alone, I can't determine if somebody's spouse is an unbeliever. It's something we walk through uh, for several meetings. We walk through over time, and we sometimes get other pastors and elders involved as we call them continually to repentance because just because someone doesn't repent today doesn't mean they're unbeliever, but maybe in a few weeks they will. So maybe God will convict them through the process of church discipline, which you mentioned, which is Matthew 18, which is where if there's sin in a marriage, then the spouse, the I'll call it the unsinning, but there really isn't such a thing. So that's more innocent. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How do you label that? Take the one goes, that's trying to walk with the, the church. Trying in to it. walk with the church goes yeah. to the spouse that's sinning yeah. and says, "You're sinning against me, and we need to stop this. this. Is not okay." And if that doesn't help, nothing happens. Then you get two or three trusted friends that can say, "Hey, there's sin going on. We need to stop this. We need to help you. We need to get you into counseling or programs or pastors or resources of some sort." If nothing happens over maybe even frequent attempts at that, then you take it to the church, which is the care department. And you say, this is what's happening. And we try to contact the spouse and get involved with the spouse. And we do that because we're always calling someone to change, to stop what they're doing, to repent, to ask forgiveness of God and others. And you always listen to both sides. You don't Absolutely. just listen to one person's side. No, no, no. That'd be bad because yeah. <laughs> sometimes I've listened to one spouse and if you take it full in and then you listen to the other spouse, you're like, oh, okay, hang on here. So we don't want to get duped by just one side. We need yeah. to listen to both. And maybe have character witnesses Well, both. yeah. And then often I start praying, okay, Lord, would you reveal other things right. to me? And then sometimes somebody else will say, did you know what's going on? And I actually happen to be their neighbor or their good friend or their family member. And this is actually an additional piece that sheds light on something. Um, not that we want people to tattle, but sometimes it's yeah. helpful when you try to discern what's going on. Of the yeah. whole pieces. Yeah. 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 Yep. So... That brings in kind of one point that we wanted to clarify too, um, in the sense that is a public that marriage is a public institution and mm-hmm. that people walk alongside us in it. I know you had some questions that came to you yeah. because of that. What kind of questions did people have? So it was interesting because Greg said that our marriages are public, and we know that through Ephesians five that our marriages are a testimony to who Christ is and His relationship with the church. And this is this is a public witness a of picture. us as Christians, yep. a picture. Yeah, and. 
clearly it's our marriages are public to our kids, to our grandkids, the people who know the insides and outs of our marriages. It's also a public promise because we stood up before witnesses, whether it was a smaller marriage or a big marriage, you stood up before witnesses and you promised to uphold your covenant to each other. Yeah, and all those people are witnesses of that promise that you made. Yeah, yeah. so it is public, but also, so I guess I want to clarify that we don't want all of our struggles, all the nitty gritty to be public in the way that we think of public nowadays. It doesn't come before the whole church and that you stand on the stage. Yeah. We don't write it all over Facebook. We don't put it on Instagram. We or don't even Snapchat talk to it. everybody at our women's ministry table oh, or oh, please, all no. of our friends or no. all the past no. <laughs> school pack. No. When there's sin going on in your marriage, you want to guard your spouse, the dignity of your spouse. But So you have to open your marriage up to, at least the two of you for sure, to God. God needs to know everything that's going on. You need to talk to God about everything. And then you need to involve a small, trusted group. Because if your spouse comes to their senses and they stop their sin, you want them to be able to be free to be in larger groups and not have everybody know all the ins and outs of yeah, the Yeah, you yuck. want them to walk back into the church yeah. and not feel like they have everybody staring at them and wondering because yeah. everybody knows the stuff that happened. Yeah, so public yeah. only means really a small group of trusted people that will help and will encourage and will forgive and will walk alongside. But public also means that the people who were there that were witnessing your wedding have a right to speak into your marriage because you have made a promise in front of them. And so if they see things that are concerning to them and they come to you and say, actually, you know, this, I've, I'm worried about this. I see this. Is this an issue? You need to be willing to listen to that because yeah. you have opened yourself up to that by making this promise in front of them. You can't just say, this is my personal business. You have no right talking to me about it and, and close them off because mm -hmm. you have made this promise in front of them. Mm -hmm. And so... As we've gone through this series, I've asked a number of people who listen to the sermons to ask me afterwards, like to give me feedback. What kind of questions can we bring up on the podcast? What were the holes? What are the things that need to be clarified? So this past weekend, um, one of our friends, Louise Welsh, I'll give you kudos, Louise. <laughs> she sent an email because at the end, she uh, was really encouraged. And she said that we actually need to be more prayerful and reflective of our responsibilities towards the couples around us. Yeah, I thought that was a really great comment because it's true. We can't just think of our own selves, whether we're single or married. We have to think of the others around us and be prayerful. And she also said that if we have doubts or questions before a couple gets married, it's probably our responsibilities as fellow Christian brothers and sisters to address them kindly, respectfully, gently, and bring them up and give it to their attention. Or she said, after they're married, if we notice some small issues that could develop into something big, maybe that's something that if we're close to them, if we witnessed their marriage, if we are in their community group, or if we're somehow connected to them, maybe we say, I notice this crack. Is this something that you could get some help on now before it becomes much bigger? Before it becomes the Grand Canyon and you yeah. can't get to the other side. Yeah. And I really appreciated her comments because I thought that is so true. We yeah. do need to be walking alongside the others in our circles. Yeah. And that's what you try to do with the pre-marriage classes yeah. and some of the marriage mentors and that kind of stuff. But you are only in their lives for a little blip of time, right? A six-week ser series or all these kind of things where there's other people that are walking alongside them for their lifetime. They're yeah, neighbors uncles, and aunts, neighbors. neighbors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was also a real encouragement to me to, again, open my eyes, to think outside myself, to think, okay, who can I meet with for coffee, go for walks with? How are you doing? How's your marriage doing? How are you doing with your parenting and all these other things? Yeah. As we should be asking each other. Yeah. But we, we get kind of busy. Yeah, yeah, I know. But we should, and we should be willing to dialogue about that when people ask us. Yeah. 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 One other topic that came up was how does forgiveness fit with divorce? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a spouse that has... Um, 
committed adultery or that has been abusive or is in an active addiction or something like that. And they ask forgiveness and they repent of their sin. And then they want to be remarried or something like get divorced, get remarried. Well, it, it's just not an automatic thing. So if somebody asks forgiveness for their sin, that's so great. Mm-hmm. We want them to walk forward in repentance. But we also want to make sure that that repentance has stuck, if you want to say it. Like that, that you see it fruit over of a while. It. Yeah. yeah, not just a week, not just a month, sometimes maybe a year or more. We want to see the fruit of this repentance before we say, yeah, get back into the same home. Yeah. Because if there's abuse, for example, you'd want to know that everybody is safe and that there's clear change in behavior over a long period of time before we'd encourage people to get back in the home. Same with if there's active addiction that hurts people. It's like, well, we need to see clear evidence of repentance. Same with an affair. If it stopped, we need to know clearly, has this affair stopped? Yeah. Like, are you just continuing on? We want to see clear evidence of repentance, not just a, oh, forgive me, I've been caught and now let's get back together. Yeah. Ah. And sometimes even if we're the spouse sin been sinned against, it's kind of we think, oh, well, that's easy, quick. We yeah. can just he's forgiven or he's asked for repentance. Let's just jump right back into this. It's much yeah. easier than going through this hard process. Yeah. But in the long run, you also want to make sure actually, you know, is this real? Is yeah. this true? And so I think that's where in that question, you can bring the care department along with you as well to yeah. say what are the markers? I, I know you've I've sat with you sometimes when you've talked to people about this and say like outline what would what would repentance look like to you mm-hmm. and have this list in your mind so that you can check how this person's reacting to you over the next couple of months. Yeah. Are they walking in line with that profession? Yeah. Or not? I often use a medical analogy. So um, Crystal, if you were feeling unwell, but you didn't want to go to the doctor because you just didn't want to have any terrible diagnosis. So you just say, well, I'll just take Tylenol and Advil and whatever. I'll just feel unwell. But if actually you have cancer, the full result is 100% you're going to die. But if you go to the doctor and face courageously that diagnosis, then you can pursue chemotherapy, radiation, all the treatments they require. And the, the possibility is you can have life and have life for many years. And it's like that when we look at our marriages and we think, oh my goodness, there's cancer. But I don't want to do anything about it. I just want to take the aspirin, put my head yeah, in the sand. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll just get better tomorrow. It's just a bad day. It's just like, oh, well, no, actually, you should probably take a hard look at this, get the proper diagnosis and start the hard treatments because the chance then is you'll have life and life abundantly in your marriage. As opposed to if you do nothing, it's going to just corrode and corrupt and it's all going to fall apart. Yeah. So we need to take a hard look at our marriages and, yeah. and be willing <laughs> to do the hard work because sometimes you just want the easy, it's easier just to not cause any waves and not yeah. make any fuss. I'm tired today yeah. and I'm tired tomorrow and I'm tired all this week and then this month and I then. I don't want to have to go to counseling and it costs money and blah, 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 blah. True. True. Yeah. But, you know, there's lots of preventative measures we could take. My husband, Mark, often says, well, it's easier to go out for dinner or go for a date night than to pay for um you know, divorce costs, all yeah. the lawyer fees and whatever else is. Thankfully, I don't know any about that, that. But, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, we have to do a lot of preventative measures. Yeah, which is why I liked the fact that that's how kind of Greg ended it. Like, a renewed, let's have a renewed commitment mm-hmm. to actually building into our marriages and to the marriages of people. Yeah. And I talked to a few people after, and they saw people, like, nudging each other. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's why we have to go on dates. And that's why we have to get away from our kids once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But it's very true. It is very true. Yeah. Yeah, we I felt that way proactive. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we want to avoid this topic in terms of it impacting us in yeah. our lives. Yeah, it's a big deal. This is a very important series. If yeah. you haven't been, if you've been away and you haven't been listening to them, get caught up. Go back online and listen to the series and um, be encouraged. Yeah. So why don't you pray for us as we okay. go? Oh, wow. Lord, all I can think of is we really need you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've heard me say with many people upstairs, Lord, 
Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, in this whole topic of marriage and separation and divorce, we really need your help. I pray that you would convict us where we need convicting, that we would have soft hearts to listen to your word and to ask forgiveness and to walk forward in repentance and a renewed commitment to follow you, Lord. I pray that we would reach out for help if we need it. I pray that you would give the care department energy and strength, as well as many other pastors and elders and community group leaders that are involved in this process as well. Lord, thank you for our church, and thank you that we are willing to address these difficult topics. I pray that you would help us as we go forward. Thank you that we can work to encourage the people around us, whether they're single or married, separated, divorced. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be an encouragement to each other. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.